I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. of the Graham Bonnet Band. Graham Bonnet is my guest today on the program. Let me tell you a little bit about Graham Bonnet. Although Graham Bonnet is one of the most ferocious and primal singers of all time, the music that got him the most excited when he was a kid was, yeah, you guessed it, opera. While British radio in the early 1950s was dominated by opera, the power and the force of those voices that blared across the airwaves lit something up in the young bonnet, and his imitations of those singers was the first time it dawned on him that he could sing. Now, before we go any further, I should tell you, Graham Bonnet never took one vocal lesson. He is a self-taught singer. And for a guy as talented as Bonnet to be self-taught, that's like saying Roger Federer taught himself how to play tennis. All right, back to our story. At age 21, Bonnet and his cousin Trevor Gordon formed a kind of soft rock duo, and they were called the Marbles. Now, Gordon grew up in Australia, where he became pals with the Bee Gees. He recorded a few Barry Gibb tunes as a solo act, then he moved back to the UK, where he and Bonnet decided to team up as the Marbles, but... Gordon realized that very powerful musical adage, once you're on the Gibb train, why get off? So he and Bonnet recorded more of Barry Gibb's compositions. The duo recorded a song called Only One Woman, which actually featured Barry on backing vocals, and it hit number five on the UK charts. The song was virtually everywhere. But in an interview, Graham Bonnet let it slip that he thought the song was kind of boring. Pull it up on YouTube, you'll see that he kind of had a point. It's not that it's a bad song, but having Graham Bonnet singing songs like Only One Woman is like asking Steph Curry to not shoot any threes. In other words, it was a total waste of Bonnet's talent. The Marbles stayed at it, but not for much longer. They were only really around for about a year, between 1968 and 1969. They did put out one record that had another good single on it that charted at 28, but Bonnet pretty much had had enough. He quit the business and decided the best way to make money was to sing jingles for advertisements. The jingle thing lasted for a bit, and then Bonnet got the part as the singer of the band Billy Beethoven, in the 1974 British cult classic film Three for All. A few years later, in 1977, Bonnet's self-titled solo album went gold in Australia on the strength of its first single, which was a cover of Bob Dylan's It's All Over Now, Baby Blue. What was the album's next single? Well, that would be the uncomfortably titled song Warm Ride, which was written by the Bee Gees. Less uncomfortable? It hit number one on the Australian charts. There's a lesson for every artist that's important to remember. Get your stuff out there. Now, I know that's not a very profound statement, but it's one that's very true. The soulful power of Bonnet's debut album got out there. And in 1979, UK glam legend Sweet approached Bonnet 
to replace their singer, Brian Connolly. Now, Sweet were a huge band, so on paper, this was a dream gig. But not only was it a dream gig, it was the perfect narrative arc for a guy who paid his dues by going from marbles to jingles. In fact, this job offer was the best way imaginable to move forward in his career. So, Graham Bonnet did what any musician would do if they were in his shoes and they were offered this job. He turned it down. Because Graham Bonnet had gotten his work out there, he now had options. He turned down the sweet gig for an even sweeter gig as the new singer of Rainbow. He replaced the operatic Ronnie James Dio, but it turned out that Bonnet was pretty operatic himself. Though primarily an R&B singer, Bonnet found with Rainbow a reservoir of untapped vocal power. So Bonnet did the logical thing with that reservoir. He tapped it. Now the frontman of a high-profile hard rock band, Bonnet embraced the role. The band's down-to-earth album was a monster, spawning two hit singles, Since You've Been Gone and The Sultry Muscle of All Night Long. Speaking of monsters, Rainbow headlined the Monsters of Rock Festival at Donington Park. Graham Bonnet went from singing jingles in a studio in front of two people to suddenly playing in front of 40,000. Bonnet's tenure with Rainbow lasted just one album. He immediately released the solo record Lineup, whose single Night Games hit number six on the UK charts. By now, the soft rock days were a distant memory, and Bonnet was a bona fide hard rock singer, whose voice was a fevered blend of cracking thunder, melodic muscle, and sheer feral groove. Now remember, Bonnet had options. Former UFO guitar player Michael Shanker recruited Bonnet for the Assault Attack record. This led to great exposure for Bonnet, and he knew it. But he took that exposure a little too far and was fired from the band after exposing himself on stage at a show in Sheffield. So, with Rainbow and the Michael Schenker group now behind him, Bonnet formed Alcatraz with Ingve Malmsteen, and the band put out three records. Weirdly enough, Alcatraz revisited the Marbles Bee Gees track, Only One Woman, and this time, it wasn't boring. Bonnet has stayed busy over the years, and here's a speed round of what he's done. He was in Blackthorn, he sang backup vocals for the Danish metal band Pretty Maids, he appeared on stage in Germany in The Wind in the Willows. He sang with the Japanese metal band Anthem and the Italian outfit Electric Zoo and the band Impelitari. And he's put out a bunch more solo albums, one of which also contained yet another take of Only One Woman. And again, it wasn't boring, but it is getting weird. In 2015, Graham Bonnet formed the Graham Bonnet Band, and they have a new album out called Meanwhile, Back in the Garage, which just came out yesterday, and if you're hearing this 10 years from now, it was yesterday, 10 years ago. Look, Graham Bonnet is one of my favorite guys. He's one of my favorite singers, and he's one of my favorite personalities in music, and here's why. In 1981, when I first started watching MTV forensically, I was in sixth grade, and one thing I noticed was Everyone on stage kind of looked like they were part of the same team, not Graham Bonnet. While everyone had long hair and spandex, Graham Bonnet had short hair, he wore a suit, and he wore aviators. He looked nothing like the bands that he played in. He looked like their accountant with rabies. I love Graham Bonnet because he always knew who he was. And that kind of self-possession is infectious. Graham Bonnet didn't care what was happening around him. He cared about the songs. He cared about the singing. He cared about the music. The appearance, well, that was a specific choice, which he'll explain why he chose. But the fact of the matter is, he is not one of those guys that needed to fit in because he knew who he was. And to me, that is one of the great hallmarks of an absolutely unique and individual artist. So, Without further ado, here's my conversation with Graham Bonnet. Enjoy it right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast.
Bethany, my girlfriend's gone to see her mom and dad, and uh, I, I don't know what to do with myself, actually. So this is a good little opportunity for me to feel unbored, if there is such a word. <laughs> <laughs> you seem like a guy yep. who's far too intense to ever be bored. Oh, okay. Well, if you say so. Uh, yeah, I, um, I try my best to be very intense. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. um, tell me, how long was this record gestating? I mean, where did it come from in terms of the time period? And is it, how did you originally conceive of it? Uh, well, it was, uh, it's been in the, on heat in the back of the stove for a while. It, some of the songs I made up probably, you know, like, three years ago and uh, n never actually got around to recording them because when we first put this band together, we weren't quite sure what we should go for. So I gave a lot of uh, uh, the songwriting to the rest of the band because I wanted the guitar player to do all the heavy licks and all that stuff, all the heavy, you know, um, uh, rhythms and everything. Because when I, when I write a song, I write usually on an acoustic, then give it to the band and say, okay, now make it heavy metal, man. You know, heavy it up a bit. Um, and they get the idea because they know how I write. But it's been, uh, it's been a labor of love. And uh, it's, uh, it, it took a while. The actual recording took a few months because I was going away overseas to uh, actually play with Michael Shanker to do some stuff. And uh, it kind of got in the way of the album. So we were a little bit slowed up. And uh, the record company was on to me saying, well, you know, you, when are we going to get this damn album? You know, it's taking too long, like they do. And um, so we had to kind of hurry up. So some of the songs I made up towards the end of the recording, I sort of put together like within a day or something. And it, that's not the way I usually do things. I like to really, you know, pick the songs apart and then record them obviously and then pick the vocal apart and whatever else but this was pretty quick a lot of it to me was sort of in demo form almost uh but it but it doesn't sound like that i know but it but uh it, it was like that to me because i'm really a perfectionist and uh, every record i've made i think uh, i always go back and go oh my god why didn't i do that again you know well, this new kind of creative process where it sort of forced your hand a little bit. Did you did yeah. it for it forced you to do things that you don't normally do? But did you find that kind of freeing? Uh, a little bit of both. Uh, so, and so it did drive me a little bit mad because I wasn't quite sure what to do when you're told to hurry up and finish something. It's, you know, the music is supposed to be an art, but uh, it isn't any longer. It's just a, a damn business, as we know. And the quicker you do things, no matter how bad or good it is, uh, it has to be done within a certain amount of time. But uh, it was, um, you know, I, I, told, I told my manager to just say to the record company, please, can they hold up? We know we have so many more songs to do, and I want them to be good, not just fast and okay. They've got to be good, you know, in my eyes or in my ears, whatever, you know. Have you always been a perfectionist? Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. You know, um, musically anyway, um, because that's all I do. And if I'm not good at my job anymore, if somebody say, well, I think you've lost it, man, you know, uh, I would give up. But, um, you know, so far I've been, uh, you know, everything's been good to me. My, my throat has been good and uh, everything seems to be working okay. You know, as the years go by, obviously your voice or your body wears out, you know, the engine doesn't uh, click together like it used to but uh, i've been very very lucky uh, uh with the way i am physically and um you know with, with my voice my, my vocal cords let's say how have you preserved that voice because a lot of your contemporaries um had a, a difficult time with that how were you able to keep that in such good shape um i don't know i mean we've been doing more gigs over the past two years and I've ever done in my life, I think, um, because, um, and that, I think that has kept me in shape because if you sing every day or play every day, you're bound to get better, you know, but because after a while your, your instrument or your voice will, you know, you, you lose the, the thing, you know, the, uh, the flow of uh, how to breathe with the, with the singer, how to breathe, where to hold back, where to really push it on certain parts of the melody. And um, sometimes you kind of forget, you know, you forget, oh, what do I do there? Oh, yeah, that's how I sing it. Okay. Um, and um, 
it's uh, because I've had so many gigs. I think that's uh, good for me to keep uh, the voice up. You know. So it's like it's like the muscle stays in shape. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I also wonder if that could have it could also work the other way, where if you play too much, you could also blow it out. Absolutely. Yeah, that happens too. You know, I, I was doing a, a gig in England, and um, the place was damp. Um, and uh, we went on stage, and you could see our breath. You know, it was like steam coming out of everybody's mouth. We all had our overcoats on, uh, playing live in a, in a club, in a rock club in England. And um, it was so weird. I sang, I don't know, probably two songs. Then suddenly my voice went, Bleh! it just completely went. And I didn't know what it was, but it was the cold air that uh, did it. And so I just had to stop. I said, I'm sorry, I, I can't go on. And um, so what happened was I took five minutes break, and uh, one of the girls from the uh, opening band came back, gave me a throat sweet, and um, uh, I had some hot tea or, or something. And I went back up again, and it was back again. So, you know, it depends on the environment sometimes that's... Uh, aren't really conducive to singing and, you know, whatever. But singing especially, it's really difficult. Are you more protective now of your voice than you were when you were, say, 35? Yeah, always, because there's certain foods I can't eat. And I was told by my doctor, if you start eating uh, too many uh, tomatoes and whatever else, acidic food is something I have to keep away from because then you get uh, acid reflux which, of course, damages or, you know, uh, inflames your vocal cords and your throat. So I have to watch out what I'm eating. So it's, uh, yeah, that's part of what I do anyway. You know, I heard that you were a self-taught singer. Is that true? Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it was, I didn't go to any, I've never had a lesson, a vocal lesson ever. And um, I think it's because when I was a kid, I used to listen to, um, People like Mario Lanzer, you know, opera singers, because back in the 1950s on the radio, uh, that's kind of what you heard all the time was like opera and, um, you know, Perry Como or whatever. Um, it was, um, I would, but I sort of latched on to the guys who had these operatic voice. Mario Lanzer is one of my favorite singers. I, I love his voice, how good he is, the power and those beautiful notes that uh, he used to sing. But he was like poo-pooed by every um, opera fanatic because he was in movies and, you know, it wasn't the thing. You know, it didn't have that snob appeal that operas, opera singers kind of get, you know, like Pavarotti, you know. They, they have to be fat and, you know, whatever, um, and eat a lot. <laughs> it's just one of those things, I think, that helped me because I, I sort of trained myself, I guess, to sing every in every which way. So when I was in a band, when I was uh, 14, I would be singing sort of, um, you know, um, Frank Sinatra songs, then a Beatles song, then a Rolling Stones tune, and then something completely different, but every kind of music. And I think that's kind of what has uh, kept me in shape because I don't have one voice. I have uh, different voices. I wonder, your explanation of hearing opera on the radio may have just answered a question I've had for years, which is, why are there so many white guys in England who can sing with so much power and soul? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they listen to the same guy I did. Right. But, um, it, it, yeah, I mean, it, if, if it's anybody of my age, they probably listen to what I was listening to on the radio. And, you know, everybody likes to sing with the radio. But, um, you know, Mario Lanza coming, da, 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 you know, uh, fucking whatever, you know, these huge uh, opera songs. And that they were the songs I know. They were, they were my rock songs by then, you know. But it was um, something that I, I just loved the way my parents would laugh every time I came into the room when I was a little boy of seven and I'd be singing some opera thing. And they would just look at me and they'd just go, oh, my God, you know. And, and laugh. So because it amused my parents, I kept on doing it. <laughs> <laughs> what um, I, I wonder if, you know, for you, what you heard and what inspired you uh, are two different things. So who are the guys that really lit you up when you when you were a kid and you went, I want to I want to be that guy? 
Well, um, I don't know how far you go back. You're very young, I, I take it. How old are you? I, I'm, it's nice of you to say that. I'm 48. Oh, you're 48. Oh, okay. You've got okay. a very young voice. Oh, good. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, you're a bit older than our manager then. My, our manager's 40, and I call him a kid, you know. But um, <laughs> and, anyway, it's good to have a kid in the band, you know, because he's got young ideas, etc. But um, what was your question? <laughs> <laughs> I want to know who... I forgot what you asked me. I want to know, like, who you who you heard, and you went, oh, I want to be that guy. Oh, okay. Well, first of all, it was uh, Little Richard. I mean, he was one of my favorite rock singers. And my brother Tony was the guy that introduced me to Little Richard, and then he brought home records like uh, Buddy Holly, who, who I, I've got every track of Buddy Holly. I, I just love Buddy Holly. I just love his voice, the way he controls. He's very quiet, sort of... It's not, he doesn't have a, he's not a great singer, but, but he has great emotion to me. It's the way you put a song across. It's not how high you can sing or how loud. It's really the way you make that song your own and sound as though you mean it, you know. Um, and I, I love him. I just love his voice. And then Little Richard was just the opposite. I mean, he was one that just went out there screaming, and Woo! you know, getting all that stuff. I mean, he, was, he still is my, one of my greatest influences, I think. But I could never sing like that when I was a kid, uh, when I was about, you know, seven. But I, I used to listen to those things and just think, why can't I sing like him? You know, I needed years of, you know, uh, you know a bit of, bit of a growl in my voice, a little bit of edge, which I didn't have as a young man, you know, a young, a young boy. But uh, those guys and Fats Domino, um, oh, my God, I mean, it goes on and on. You know, then later... People like, um, you know, Brian Wilson, the, the Beach Boys, early Beach Boys stuff. I love harmony, so that's where I sort of uh, went to for the harmony part of uh, every song I, I write. I think there's always a, a shitload of harmony in there because I love, I love the Beach Boys, not the surfy music, but the later stuff that they did, like God Only Knows and uh, Good Vibrations. All that stuff was so inventive and so perfect. I wanted to reach... That's where I would like to be, as good as Brian Wilson. You know, he's my hero. I, I love the guy, and his voice uh, it, to me sounds still very strong. Yeah, it does. Yeah, I mean, I, I saw him uh, with the Smile um, show about oh, I don't know, a couple of years ago, and uh, it, I was just blown away. I just like, oh my god! Uh, and the band he's with, they, they all uh, sort of have. They all go, one minute, the one guy's playing keyboards, the next minute he's playing guitar, and they, they trade all around. It's a fantastic show. And uh, he just, he just is, his chord progressions, everything, you know. You ask somebody to sit down and play uh, on an acoustic guitar, um, God only knows. They will go, what's the chords there? What are the chords? Because they're very sort of jazzy, but at the same time classical uh, chords that he uses. Him being a, a keyboard player, obviously. But, uh, man, he's, he's something else. Well, you know, you said you were in a band when you were 14, so you must have self-identified as a singer really early on. Uh, well, sort of, yeah, but I was, at the same time, I wanted to be a guitar player. I mean, I wanted to be like uh, all the good blues players back then. I wanted to be like John Lee Hooker and uh, whomever else, because a lot of the tunes we did were all blues songs, and... Uh, well, back then, when I was that age, I'll be playing uh, blues songs and Bob Dylan tunes and uh, or whatever, and of course Beatles songs, who are my heroes. Of course, I'm British, and uh, it's um, <laughs> it's one. Well, I think everybody loves the Beatles. I think um, most people, anyway. It's uh, they changed the world. Those guys. Well, let me let me ask you this. I mean, in in terms of what I like about you is that you know I came of age in in the early '80s. I turned on MTV. There you are. Uh, I see you singing all night long, and I go, what's with that guy? That guy looks nothing like the people he's with. And I always like the yeah. fact that you seemed so self-possessed, that you knew who you were, and you didn't feel the need to sort of um, you know, fall in line with the certain metal look. You were kind of an outlier, I think, really early on. Uh, yeah, well, because when I got the job with uh, Rainbow, I, I was doing my own solo stuff, which was going pretty well. Uh, not so much here, or um, but in Australia for some odd reason, and uh, in parts of Europe. And my whole thing, 
I've always loved doo-wop music and 1950s music. I love the platters and bands like that, you know, singers like that. It was always something I, I really enjoyed. I, I love doo-wop music. As corny as it is, I just love the way they put harmonies together. But um, it was a, a look I had uh, back then. I always wore a suit when I went into the office in, in London. And, uh, and I had my shirts made in the 1950s style, things like that. You know, I was very much into that 1950s thing. And that's just the way I was. Then when the job came along uh, with Richie, I go over to do an audition and they look at me like I'm, who the fuck is this, you know? Uh, <laughs> was, are you a bank manager or something? Uh, no, uh, but, you know, I had the brill cream on my hair and the whole thing, you know, like stray cats or something. And it was just, th that's who I, I still am. And that's who I am. That's a, a, a look or whatever that seems to have uh, worked with me. I, I would never be wearing spandex pants and you know, whatever else, because that to me was a bit corny. I, I wanted to be something different. I wanted to look different. And th when I left England, the punk thing was going on. So people were having their hair cut shorter and all that kind of thing. And everybody looked kind of 1950s-ish, but um, it was just the way I, I liked that, that look, as well as singing that, those kind of songs too.
was your take on punk rock? I, well, I was. I thought Johnny Rotten was the best comedian ever. I mean, I loved <laughs> the Sex Pistols. I thought they were so fucking funny, and nobody got it. You know, and I loved, uh, and I still do, uh, Elvis Costello. I like when he came out and started. You know, uh, his his albums were amazing, and uh, but nobody could understand what he was singing about. So he, I think he re-recorded some stuff and did them in slower tempos or something. So you could hear what his words were because he's, he's a great poet. He really is. He writes fantastic words. He tells a story. You know, it's like Chuck Berry. Chuck Berry is one of my heroes, uh, lyric writers. Uh, his melodies were all the same, but his lyrics were great. But the punk thing was, to me, those the guys that stuck out were like uh, Elvis Costello, and the Sex Pistols, which, uh, as I said, were like a comedy band, but nobody got it, you know, God Save the Queen and all that, you know. And isn't Elvis Costello, isn't he an underrated singer? Yes. I, I saw, you know, I, I, I was watching a movie on a plane, in fact, and it was about a, an actress, um, oh, God, oh, um, Gloria Graham. It's about the story of Gloria Graham. She's, she was an actress that went to live in England, and fell in love with this Liverpool boy who was about 25 while she was, oh God, I don't know, probably in her late 50s. And um, the, the song at the end of the movie is this song, and I go, what the, is that Paul McCartney? I heard this song and I thought, what the hell is that? Sounds like Paul McCartney, but not quite. And um, it was Elvis Costello. And it's called, um, I think it's called Don't Look At Me That Way or something. But it, he sings that with such feel. You know, he just, it, amazing. He just does a great performance. And I heard this song, and it just, it made me cry because it was so honest. And the way he sang, it wasn't, you know, uh, it wasn't his other stuff. It was uh, really, really emotional. And uh, I credit that guy as a really good uh, singer. His expression uh, on this song was just incredible. I like that you can still be moved by by new material that you aren't aware of. You can still find that thrill in in pop music. Because some people that you know they feel they kind of you know get I don't know if they are able to be thrilled anymore. As we get older, we get you know our heart grows colder. <laughs> um, but but yeah. I, I like that you're able to still be amazed by by pop music. Yeah, well, I mean that's where I start, and that's sort of where I end. Probably I don't know, but it's um. Yeah, pop music, whatever you want to call it. it music is all music. And uh, unfortunately, I've been put in the drawer of being a heavy metal singer. I'm still singing the same way I've always sung, but it's on, you know, but, but it's with a band with widdly widdlies, you know, you know, with all that stuff going on and loud music. It's um, my voice is always, it's always going to be me, I hope, unless I'm told to sing in a different way. Uh, people, uh, it seems know when it's me on whatever kind of song it is. Oh, that's Graham. Uh, how can you tell? <clears throat> but anyway, I hope I have an identifiable, you know, identifiable boy, voice. And um, it's always been that way since I was a kid. I've always had that, that um, similar voice to the way it is today. Do you find, and it's interesting you mentioned opera because I know, I know that you know, someone like Dio really reminded me of an opera singer. So it's really interesting. A lot of there's an operatic element in the metal music for some of those guys. Yeah, because, well, you listen to what Richie Blackmore was playing. It was all semi-classical, you know, rips and everything. And then, of course, the keyboards when, um, with the, the rainbow I know with Don Airy and, well, before that, you know, um, it, it was just... Um, there was no other choice but to do that. To me, anyway, it's sort of, uh, I mean, like the song um, Eyes of the World, I mean, uh, on the Rainbow album I did, uh, Down to Earth. I mean, I was just blown away by that. The way uh, Don and uh, uh, Richie put that song together, it's just it's one of my favorite songs. I just love that song. But it's, it's like classical music. It really is. Have you found that it's, it's easier or harder to maintain friendships in music over the years? Um, uh, Bob, yeah, I mean, everybody grows apart. I mean, the people I don't speak to anymore, you know, I, I haven't spoken to Richie for, since I left the band in 1980, 1980. Wow. Um, I, I have no, not one word. And I've tried to get in touch with him, but you, you kind of grow apart because you want to do something else. And the past is the past. 
you know. I mean, like now, I, I don't want to really go back to the old style of, uh, I don't know, uh, Rainbow, but at the same time, it's still, it's still in there. The elements of Rainbow, my own, you know, Alcatraz, my own band, and a bit of MSG, it, it's in there because that's what I've been working on for the past 8,000 years. And, you know, I've, I've been in that kind of music, so I'm influenced by that, you know. So what well, can I do? It's weird because you know, there, you know, Rainbow had a lot of singers, so I would think that, that Richie Blackmore wouldn't be angry at you for not being in the band anymore. I just left. I left the band. They weren't happy about it. You know, I wasn't fired. I, I left because uh, Cozy Powell left the band, and it wasn't the same. Cozy, me, and uh, Don Airy were very close when that lineup of uh, Rainbow was, you know, happening. And uh, when Cozy left, it was like, oh, my God. You know, rehearsals were, were terrible. And we were trying to rehearse for uh, a new album, and nothing was going down. There was no enthusiasm anymore. And uh, Don said to me, I'm, I'm going to leave, Graham. I'm going to go back home. Uh, we were in Copenhagen trying to get this damn album together. And we had one song that Russ Ballard wrote called um, I Surrender, and that's all we had. And uh, there was nothing new going down by the band at all because no one was coming to rehearsals. So I said, well, Don, if you leave, now we've lost Cozy. He's, he's left. Um, I said, well, if you leave, I'll leave. Anyway, I went home and left the band, and uh, and Don stayed. <laughs> the bastard. <laughs> so he, he stayed. He, he fucking stayed. He stayed, and I should have, really. And uh, But anyway, I left the band, unfortunately, and I wish I'd have stayed for another year or two. Um, for you, musical projects that you are thinking about that are sort of percolating for the future. Have you thought about doing something sort of uh, different than you've done um, in terms of like maybe something really acoustic or bluesy or do you think about that a lot? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm working on them now. That's what exactly what I'm doing. Uh, so we're going to, um, we're going to put down a few tracks that will never go on a frontiers album. It won't go on a heavy metal album, but I've also got other, uh, songs that are ready to go for another album you know now we've got the um second one out we've got to keep on going and uh, be ahead of the game so oh excuse me i just had a drink of water i'm burping um it's uh, it's all yeah so i have i don't know uh probably about six or seven songs all ready to go for the next kind of graham bonnet band album but i'd like to do um an album of more r&b or pop uh, or blues or whatever the hell um, on the next on another album, which will be like an independent thing. Uh, we've already talked about this uh, with the band, and so I get these guys. You know, the band would play on this, but we sometimes have a, a guest player. Hopefully, I know that or you two. are you're your own greatest critic. What is it that you demand from yourself, Graham? What What do you expect from you? Uh, to get better every day, uh, to to improve my voice. And uh, to sing in tune more than I do, um, because when it comes to a live situation, um, I, I have great, I'm deaf in one ear, and my other other ear, my my right ear is kind of deaf-ish, and my left ear has tinnitus or tinnitus, however you want to say that. So I've got this constant ringing in my left ear, and the other side being sort of semi-dead, and um, so I use in ears on stage, and sometimes. When I'm, you know, when I really go for it, use a louder voice, I lose the band because I hear my head voice, but I don't hear the band anymore, you know. So when I have my mix in my in ears uh, fixed in, uh, you know, in sound check, I usually have me really loud and very with a lot of high end because I can't hear high end at all. So I have to have it really kind of, you know, trebly, uh, which isn't good for my ears, I know, but it's the only way I can hear me. And that sort of eliminates the sound of the band, you know, because you've got the bass there and, you know, the drums, etc. So I have to really be careful when it comes down to having a, 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 an in-ear in mix. Um, so it's uh, sometimes difficult, but I'd like to really improve my singing, you know, really. Does that hearing situation kind of terrify you? Yeah, it does, because I'm, I'm wondering, what, is it going to get worse? You know, I don't want it to, but um, it's, of course, I don't want it to. 
it's um it's very scary and some nights i have the the um the is so bloody loud uh when i take them off you know people are saying to me in the band are saying we could hear them without you taking i can hear your in-ears you know from you, them being in your ears you know i'm saying you're kidding me aren't you <laughs> no, oh no we can hear exactly where you are oh damn you know and i don't realize how deaf i am but it's I'm not uh, completely there yet, but uh, it does worry me. Yes, of course it does. Yeah, the, the rock and roll lifestyle, man, it, it, it takes its yeah. toll. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm not the only one. Jimmy Waldo, uh, our keyboard player, I mean, he, he has the same thing. But uh, he, he's worse than me. You know, I'm talking to him, and he goes, what, what? You know, and I'm right in his face, but he, he just can't hear. He, he's a little worse than I am. Wow. Wow. Well, protect, yeah. protect those ears, man. Um, uh, well, I, they, you know, the Indians do to a certain amount. But as I said, I have to have them pretty loud to hear what I'm doing. You know? Graham, are you aware of just how much your voice has meant to people over the years? Yeah, I mean, uh, I recognize this by reports I've had from audience members and the band members saying things about, you know, when you did that note... Did you see those guys up front lose their bloody shit? I, I'm saying, what, what are you talking about? Because <laughs> I don't usually look at, I look over the heads, you know. Um, I don't look at the, the people that are right up front. Usually, I usually look towards the back, you know, and just remember, think I'm somewhere else. And uh, I said, yeah, he said, you know, when you did that note in, blah, 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 whatever song it may be. I mean, they, they said, you know, the, the band just say, the fucking power you have, man, it's just unbelievable. And I'm just lucky. I'm just lucky. It's it's the right, the right head shape, I think, and the right uh, lung capacity. That's where it all comes from. Well, you know? it, it would have been interesting to hear you in a doo-wop group, but I think I think yeah. you made the right move. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. I mean, but that that is something you know. When I was saying like do an independent uh, album, I would do like a doo-wop thing on there just because. I, I I like that kind of thing. I would do, you know, like one track, you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think it'd be really kind of interesting to hear you do that. Yeah. I mean, I, I love that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. You know, like Joe, uh, Billy Joel did with, um, what was it, Uptown, Uptown Girl or something. Yeah. It was kind of doo-woppy, that song. It was a, he wrote that for Frankie Valli, I believe, and Frankie Valli turned it down, so Billy Joel did it. You know. He on that record he even had for the longest time, which is a, a straight up doo wop song. That's the one. Yeah, that's the one I'm thinking about too. Actually, yeah, that's my favorite album. I love that album by him. That's I a, think he's great. That's a great album. I would think metal fans would be very surprised to see your record collection. Uh, yes, they would a bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got yeah, because I've got like Segovia, Django Reinhardt. You know, nothing to do with singing whatsoever, and uh, old uh, blues records from the 1920s. Yeah, you know where acoustic, you know, an acoustic guitar and a guy singing, you know. But yeah. uh, some of that is very inspirational. I can tell you. You know, I, 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 I can see them going, "Who are the fucking ink spots?" <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know that uh, Brian Wilson took his sound from you know people like the Ink Spots and um, what was it? The uh, oh god, uh, the Lesser Men, etc., um, etc. Et those bands because there was always. Um, they didn't have a girl in the group, so the high harmony was done by a guy doing falsetto. And then what happened with the, the Beach Boys, that high falsetto became the lead as opposed to be part of the harmony. You know. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, like the Platters, the Platters had that one girl to do the high notes. But, um, you know, I guess some bands didn't want a girl in the band, you know. That's the way it is. And so they would use those high notes. Uh, the falsetto thing. And if you listen to, you know, um, what was that song? I think it was a Letterman or, or one of those um, guys. Uh, what was it? Letterman? Uh, but they, you know, when I fall in love, it will oh, yeah. be forever. You know that. And, and the guy singing the lead is a high falsetto. And you, you listen to that and it, my God, it's the Beach Boys. <laughs> yeah. And he, and he talks about them to this day as being a huge influence. Right, yeah, yeah. And the, what's the other band? I can't think. Oh, I know. Uh, the Four Freshmen. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Those guys. Yeah. I mean, they were doing that way back. And uh, I think uh, Brian Wilson just took it that a little bit further with more experimental songs as well as not the 
you know, da 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 da, da not the surfy surfy stuff, but the the later albums like Surfs Up and uh, you know um, Pet Sounds. Oh my God! I mean, th- those albums are just magic to me. They're fantastic. Oh yeah, um, man, Graham, it's so cool to talk to you. I know I gotta let you go, but uh, I love the new record, and I'm excited for the new new record. That sounds really cool. Yeah, well, hopefully that will be done pretty. Well, we'll start on it pretty soon. But uh, I've got to go do some stuff with Michael Shanker in Russia in about four weeks, and then then we go on tour in the UK uh, with my band, and then uh, then we'll think about getting stuff together. I think. Did you uh, Did you ever think at this point in your life you would say the sentence "I gotta go do some things in Russia with Michael Shanker"? <laughs> uh, no, never. <laughs> It's only one, it's two shows, and that's it. Well, I'm in San Francisco, so I won't make the Russia shows, but the next time you're here, I'll come say hello. Okay, please do. Hey, very please cool do. talking to you, my friend. That was a great chat. Okay, thank you. You too. Thanks, buddy. I'll give up. What a gentleman. That Graham Bonnet, what a nice guy. So uh, so distinguished, so, uh, so eloquent, and uh, so refined. On stage, however, he's a slinky red wire of pure hard rock land-clearing howl. <laughs> he is. That guy's got it. Do check him out if you have a chance. He is one of the greatest singers on this planet. And uh, you got to check this guy out live. You won't believe it. He uh, hasn't lost anything from that voice. Well, anyway, uh, get his new album. Meanwhile, back in the garage for all things Graham Bonnet, do this. GrahamBonnetBand.com. Two N's, one T, GrahamBonnetBand.com. That'll give you everything you need to know about Graham and what's going on in his life and where he's touring and what's coming out and all that stuff. As for us here at Bombshell Radio, go to iTunes, subscribe to us. Subscribe to Stereo Embers, the podcast. Leave a couple stars. We will appreciate that. We will uh, even read some lovely comments if you're feeling lovely and commenty. Thank you, as always, for your support of Stereo Embers, the podcast, and Bombshell Radio. I will be back next week with another episode of Stereo Embers, the podcast. Let's close this thing off with uh, the new song from Graham Bonnet. This is called, Meanwhile, Back in the Garage. Enjoy it right here, and I'll see you next week on Stereo Embers, the podcast. There's all the kids are jamming in the